Today, we're talking about pivots, how to pivot in your concussion recovery journey. My guest today, Mac Lawson, is a stand-up comedian and someone who provides inspiration and hope on Instagram. We met briefly while chatting about my content and how it was inspiring to her. And I hope that you'll check her out and she's offered up very graciously to connect with my listeners. So certainly reach out to her and uh, she's a funny gal. So I'm sure she's going to have lots to say, lots of inspiration. And today we talk about her injury and specifically how she sustained a concussion after a domestic violence incident. We also talk about invalidating people when there's people in your life that aren't helpful and that it's good it's a good thing to find your people to find the people that are going to be supportive so on the end we talk a little bit about self-care and i really liked that part of our discussion so take a listen to this wonderful survivor Hi, everyone. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Blanchett, where we explore the heart of brain injury. Hello. Hey. Hi. Welcome <laughs> to the TBI Therapist Podcast. How are you today? I'm really good. I've been really excited to do this podcast. <laughs> Yeah. I'm so glad that you reached out to me. We kind of met on Instagram and mm -hmm. you were liking some of my content and mm -hmm. I was like, let's do it. Let's just do the podcast. So I'm excited to yeah. have you on and to hear, have people hear your story. Yeah. I, I really, I, I really liked what you're doing on your Instagram. I think you, um, you're doing something really important that not a lot of therapists or doctors are, are doing for people with TBI. So great. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to kick it off with a question. Sure. Yeah. So what is one thing about your brain injury that people mm -hmm. often get wrong or they don't understand? Well, there are definitely a few things that, um, people didn't really understand during the healing process. I think the main one for me was that when you have a brain injury, mental toughness is not an option. So a lot of my friends during that time watched me go through a personality change, which ended up being for me, the most upsetting part of my injury was my friends, because when they saw me go through this personality change, a lot of them just wrote it off as, um, either laziness or, you know, just like lack of mental toughness, or I was now I became overly emotional or I was sensitive and what people, for me, the big thing that people did understand, including a lot of my close friends, is that when you have a brain injury, you are not in charge of your brain. <laughs> you are, you're gaining um, control of your brain. It takes a really long time to get that back. But yeah, that was my, one of them. There was a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm hearing it was kind of some personality changes they didn't get. And a lot of that was mm -hmm. due to just differences in your brain and not feeling like we're not feeling or not having control over what was happening in your brain. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm about four years out from my injury and I would say that I'm mostly better. I still have my, my days. Um, but you can't really get a grip when you have a brain injury. 
And it's in addition to all of the other symptoms that you have, you know, depending on how severe your TBI is, there's a wide array of symptoms that I was um, experiencing. But the hardest part for me was my peers because I didn't have, I did it. I wasn't capable of getting a grip, so to say. And so a lot of my friends just were kind of like, oh, she's dramatic or, you know, oh, she cries too much and kind of things like that. So that was the hardest thing for me, actually. Mm-hmm. More so than more so than the symptoms themselves. Yeah. And what do you think people who say those kinds of things, because you're, it's not the first time I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, like, well, mm-hmm. Why can't you just get it together or, or you know... Mm-hmm. Pull your panties up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or you're so lazy. I got called lazy all the time. I'm not a lazy person. So tell me why you think people mm-hmm. have a hard time understanding this, particularly about brain injury. Well, I think, um, you know, there's there's extremes with, with brain injuries. You know, there's some people who have brain injuries maybe a little bit worse than mine where it's they have visible symptoms. So maybe they hit their head and it's like messed up or they have like really bad speech impediments or they're, you know, can't speak, things like that. People tend to take those brain injuries more seriously, but because nobody could visibly see what was wrong with me, it was hard for people to understand that there was something wrong with me. And it was only my most empathetic friends. And I guess the friends that probably always genuinely cared about me the most that would take the time to hear me out. And ended up, um, I ended up having to really change my friend group at that time. Yeah. And I, I permanently changed it actually. And probably for the better. Um, so I'm actually mm-hmm. pretty thankful for it because a lot of people that fell out of my life, I realized they were only there for me when I was doing well. Yeah. And, um, so I learned a lot through it. Which I, I probably wouldn't have learned to be so specific about the type of people that I had around me had I not gone through that, you know, for sure. So. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your injury, if that's okay. Yeah. So um, my injury, which kind of complicated the healing process a lot, especially emotionally, um, my injury was the result of a domestic domestic violence. It, without going too much into the situation, it was really bad. Um, I actually thought at the moment I was going to die when it was happening, Mm -hmm. but but I didn't. Um, and I don't want to talk too much about the situation just because sure, it's whatever so you sensitive. Yeah. I'm, I'm still healing from that and it's been four years. Um, and it definitely complicated the healing process because as people, you know, who are survivors of any type of brain injury, there is already within the injury, a lot of mental, emotional, psychological, and PTSD type problems just with the brain injury itself. So for me, it was kind of, um, an extra like spiritual battle struggle because I was dealing with all of that. And then in addition, it was somebody that I loved who gave me that suffering. But, you know, as heavy as that is, it's like four years out now. I'm just so thankful that I just kept going because my Mm -hmm. life has completely started to turn around this year. So I'm really thankful. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I could imagine like with something like DV and and again, being Mm -hmm. sensitive to how much you want to share regarding that particular situation, Mm -hmm. but maybe Mm -hmm. just talking in generalities about DV and what there is a lot of stigma with, with Mm -hmm. just having something happen in a relationship and then Mm -hmm. it was a brain injury, Mm -hmm. 
let alone quote unquote, a physical injury that we can see, like you yeah. alluded to earlier, that people can say, mm-hmm. oh, she broke her leg from this. Oh my gosh. Well, mm-hmm. we know what that's going to look like. She can't mm-hmm. really walk mm-hmm. for six weeks and then she's going to have the rehab, but no one mm-hmm. really has a concept of your brain and what that means and the trauma mm-hmm. recovery from dealing mm-hmm. with abuse. Mm-hmm. And that was, and I think that's why my number one problem during healing was my friends, because a lot of them were just like, oh, you're just not over this guy. And I, it was, it took people with incredible size hearts to really understand and to really listen to me because, you know, you, you love somebody, you love somebody, any type of breakup, whether it's DV or not, it's going to be heartbreaking. But when you have a brain injury and something emotionally traumatic happens to you, it becomes 10 times bigger than if you don't have a brain injury because you don't have the grip on your brain that you usually do. Yeah. If that makes sense. So it does. It really does. I mean, I always talk about the brain, like executive functioning is something that we call in the brain that holds it all together. And Mm -hmm. I think emotions can like be that thing that just kind of disrupts the whole thing. And so let's think mm-hmm. about a conductor that's that's conducting in your brain all the different activities. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. have like this toddler that just like runs through the orchestra. That's the brain mm-hmm. injury that's di- mm-hmm. you know disrupting the attention, disrupting the cognition, disrupting, you know, your sensory inputs and all those things yeah. that are happening. So then the conductor's like, what the hell is this? Yeah. So that's <laughs> yeah. kind of how I relatable in the brain. <laughs> That's actually yeah. what happens with emotion is that it disrupts cognition. So it makes total yeah. sense that what you were telling me is what you experienced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, so initially after the incident, like immediately after um, we went to the hospital, um, he came there with me. He was very sorry. I don't, you know, we won't go get into it. He was very sorry at the moment. <laughs> I didn't listen to the ER doctor and I should have listened to the ER doctor because he was like, what just happened to your head is very serious. I need you to stay overnight. I need you to get testing. I think that, you know, you could have a very serious concussion. And I was just, I think, so shocked from everything. I just want to get out of the hospital. And he told me I had a concussion at the hospital, but I used to be a gymnast. So I've had many concussions in my life. Oh, okay. And yeah. So when he told me I had a concussion, I was like, oh, okay. So for like a week, I'm, I'm going to have headaches. Like that's what I assumed. And then that was not what happened. And so it was hard for me because for a while, I just thought I was just really weak. I didn't realize what was going on with me was my injury. And it wasn't until I bumped my head again and ended up having to go to the ER that the ER doctor was like, no, you have a serious brain injury. So, yeah, I don't know how I went on that tangent. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> yeah, so so maybe we'll we'll pivot a little bit and talk about mm-hmm. like life before. Like I, you t- we were talking a little bit about being a gymnast and previous concussions, mm-hmm. and maybe that had something to do with it. And also, you talked mm-hmm. in the pre-interview about how when you were a gymnast, you kind of had this really tough mentality, and so that was mm-hmm. different than recovering from a mm-hmm. brain injury. Yeah. Um, my whole life has been very performance-based. It's like when I had the brain injury, I instantly started suffering in addition to everything else from self-esteem problems because I couldn't perform. And my whole life before it was like 
was based off of performance. So I was, I was a gymnast. I played for instruments. Um, my family was very like achievement based type love, you know, you do this. Okay. Everyone pays attention. So that was my personality pre brain injury. And that was also how I gained my comp, my self-confidence was through accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And, um, I definitely got confused in my words. So I still get confused when I'm talking. Um, but it's okay, very good. normal. Yeah. <laughs> so get it. Like when you go from constantly achieving and constantly basing your self-worth off of achievement to a place where not only you don't know what's going on with you, also someone you love just hurt you. And then now you're not accomplishing things and you have no idea why until I was diagnosed you have no idea why it is a really, really dark place. And yeah. so at the time, were you? when I got my injury, mm -hmm. um, so I'm 31 now it happened in 2000, March of 2018. So I think I was 27. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was difficult for me too. So I had just moved to LA to pursue, my, my Hollywood dream. And it was like three months after I moved to LA. And so that was another thing that was pretty difficult for me is I, I was like, I felt like I, I was worthless, you know, and I'm in one of the most competitive, um, cutthroat cities in in the entire world. And here I am like unable to accomplish anything. So my, my point of saying all this was I really, during that time of my injury, developed this very strong self-love and um, I might tear up a little bit yeah take a minute well the reason why I'm tearing up is because like I know that people watch this podcast like I know what they're going through mm -hmm. and um you know I looking back on it because I still get, I still stumble over my words a little bit. There's still things, different things I'm struggling with emotionally um, regarding the injury. But looking back where I had to develop that confidence and that self-love, it's so priceless. It's so priceless. And, and I'm so thankful for that because I no longer look at myself as a, a, a performance. My life is not a performance. I'm, it's not about achievement. It's about, am I happy? And my brain injury taught me that, which is pretty cool, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm a baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, can, I can talk for a minute if you need me to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think that, I think in getting in touch with those feelings, like when you were in those dark places, I think a lot of people can relate to that, that place mm -hmm. of feeling like everything that I had led, that I had stacked my life up to be before my injury was yeah. now completely shattered and changed. Yeah. And that for a lot of people is a dark place because they don't see themselves in the way they saw themselves before. Mm -hmm. And yeah. after the aftermath of that can you can see the, you know, you can see those glimmers of light and hope and all that stuff. But I think during the middle of it, it's so hard. Oh, in the glimmers of light sometimes don't come for a while. I mean, for me, they, it, it was a while before because I, because the, the healing, right. So the healing is the hardest part, like rebuilding, you know, those synapses in your brain or whatever it's doing while you're healing. That part is so strenuous. So even if you have the strongest of hope or, you know, the best spirit, you still can't fix your brain overnight. Mm 
So it's like an endurance of spirit that you build during an injury. What I think a lot of people don't understand is the feeling of being in your body, being in your brain and having no control over what it's doing. And it's petrifying. Mm. It's petrifying. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's a feeling that I sit with a lot with people, you know, like the like the untethered, unmoored. I don't know where this is. What is this place type thing that Mm -hmm. I kind of have talked many times and sat many hours with people in that pain. It's it's so important, and that's why you know I initially reached out to you is because I needed someone like you during my injury. And, um, I just feel like there's such a lack of knowledge from the general public or with the general public about these kind of, you get a little concussion, you know, you sleep for a week or whatever, you're fine. Then you have these really serious brain injuries are super unfortunate, but these middle ground people are the ones end up doing things like committing suicide or you struggling with drug addiction, um, or just kind of. their life just completely derails because they don't have the knowledge and support that they desperately need. It's not something that you want. It's something that you absolutely positively need. And, um, I just, I just, I just think that it's really good what you're doing. I wish more therapists would, would tap into this area. So. Yeah. yeah. Same. (laughs) I mean, it's, I think it's a unique training that I had and like area that I went Mm -hmm. into that not many people do. And Mm -hmm. that's, and when people see me for therapy, they're like, what, where are all the therapists that specialize in this? And I'm like, I don't know, but they need to come on board. Yeah. (laughs) Cause it's very important. (laughs) Yeah. So I was going to ask you a little bit about, you know, your pivot or pivots from Mm. the place where it felt really dark and, you know, you yeah. weren't able to feel like you could see the hope, but when did you start seeing some hope? When were you starting to see more pivots? So, um, the pivots are, it's kind of like a snowball effect. Like you have one and then it takes a while to have another one. And then they start and you start increasingly getting better and better and better and better. Kind of, I think at least for my healing. So, for the first, I'd say year and a half, it was pretty bleak for the whole year and a half. Um, at about the year and a half point, I started to have a little bit more energy. Um, I wasn't always depressed all the time. One of my major symptoms that was pretty debilitating, um, which made me f- feel like I was like schizophrenic or something, but I would have deja vu like 150 times a day. And it wasn't until I talked to the ER doctor that he was like, Oh no, that's a symptom of a brain entry. Um, so that when the deja vu kind of started to slow down, that's when yeah. my symptoms started to pivot, which was at like a year, year and a half. And, you know, I would have, I would, uh, initially after my injury, I would, the whole day I would wake up and the whole day I would feel like I was like dreaming. <laughs> Am I crazy? And and I thought that I was crazy. So I was so afraid to talk to, I knew it wasn't normal. So I was so afraid to like go into a doctor and be like, you know, misdiagnosed of like having schizophrenia or have, cause I knew, I knew it was wrong. I knew it didn't make sense, but I would just be like, I feel like I'm dreaming. And I wasn't dreaming. I was wide awake. A year and a half point is where I started to have those pivots. And then 
I think the biggest one was about three and a half years, which is about six or about a year ago. No, like seven months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that. Um, so I had moved to Miami. So I think that might've had a lot to do with it. Psychologically, I moved physically away from where the injury occurred. Um, it helped me a lot emotionally. And I think also Miami is just a really happy place. And I wasn't having the light sensitivity that I used to have. So I got this apartment that actually was right on the water and it's beautiful. And I have, it's so funny because for three and a half years, three years, I wasn't really able to go out in the sun without experiencing some sort of symptoms. And then once they started to subside, I ended up getting this beautiful apartment in Miami overlooking the whole skyline of Miami. I had the most beautiful sunsets and, you know, sunrises, I, I, I think in Miami. And it was just kind of ironic because for so long I couldn't enjoy the sun. And it's like, now I, you know, get to experience it every day, but I think things just started to get better when I left where I was number one. And then I don't, I don't know what it was that like caused such a huge pivot because it was the injury probably started to get mostly better around like three years, but there was something about being in a, like a new place that really helped me. I don't know if that makes sense, like on a, like a scientific level, but there's something about being in a new place that like really, really helped me. And well, there, then my, there's some evidence for blue spaces. So being around water is really calming. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So, I mean, definitely when I, when you said the ocean, I was like, well, but perhaps it could be something mm-hmm. to do with like that calming nature of being near water. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm literally right on the water. And you know, most of my symptoms were, most of my symptoms were gone in about two and a half years. So most of my, my pressing symptoms were gone before I ever moved to Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of my energy levels started to come back at about the three and a half year mark. And I think it was kind of a blend of a lot of my symptoms subsiding, um, being in a new place and being in a beautiful place, which I'm very, very fortunate. But I also feel like, you know, I feel like it was like, this is going to sound so corny, but I feel like it was like, I feel like it was like a blessing, you know, it was like, oh, look, this is your blessing for, (laughs) for pushing through it. Cause like, it was so hard for me to get through those years. I wanted to just you know, you're depressed. You don't want to go on anymore. But anyway, um, being corny, but I love who's about the, okay, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, then you're going to love me, but yeah, it was about the, the three and a half year mark. And, um, then I started to feel happy and energetic again. And I, I still, uh, and that's, I'm still not all the way better. I'm still like, I seem I'm stumbling over my words right now. Um, my memory can be really, really bad. I have to get eight hours of sleep a night. And, um, if I don't get eight hours of sleep a night, I can feel that spiral start to happen. So I also have really bad memory problems still. So I'll meet somebody or I'll see somebody that I met last year. Maybe we had a really, really long in-depth, you know, important conversation. We hung out for a whole night and I'll look at them and I'll know I know them, but I'll have no recollection. So there are still symptoms, um, yeah. but I'm I'm just happy again. <laughs> so awesome. Well, so 
Yeah, thank, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about stand-up and how that happened. Hi, everyone. Just interrupting your programming a little bit. It's Dr. Jen here. I wanted to let you know about my new email course. So I developed an email course in the past couple months just to give you kind of my basics on concussion and brain injury recovery. I go a little bit over my strategies for managing nervous system changes and also mindset shifts and how to find your people. So that's the main focus of the email course. And I also talk a little bit about my coaching offerings. So you might have felt that you've been trying to seek either mental health services, and that's just not possible in your area to have someone with expertise in brain injury and wellness and mental health. And although this is different from mental health counseling, you might benefit from coaching or someone who can come alongside you and just kind of point you in different directions and resources and possibly connect you with resources near you. So if you're interested in any of that, please take me up on my free resource, which is the email course. And if you're interested about my coaching offerings, please head over to tbitherapist.com. Back to your program. Yeah. So um, before, and, and, you know, I think this is a encouraging, I think it's an encouraging story. So before I got my brain injury, because I was so um, performance-based, something like stand-up is something that I wouldn't have been able to do because it takes, you know, you you bomb a lot when you're on stage, um, especially when you're first starting. It takes a certain amount of like humility kind of or, or reckless abandon to even do stand-up in the first place. So when I was going through my healing, my brain injury, um, after about probably I'd say a year, year and a half had gone by, I was still very depressed. And so I would go on social media and I would just kind of go on these rants to make myself laugh and to make other people laugh and just to deflect from what was going on inside of me. And I just had an overwhelming amount of people tell me that I should start stand up comedy. And so I ended up doing it. I ended up going on stage and I basically found my life's purpose through my brain injury, which is crazy. And I never would have had the guts to get on stage or maybe I was a little bit too prideful because it's scary, you know? Um, But when I was, when I was going through my brain injury, it was like, everything is so bad right now. So I don't really care if people think that I'm not funny. I'm just doing this because everything is so bad. So let me just do it anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's been hard because I do have problems memorizing my jokes. I still have problems memorizing my jokes. So, but it's been, it's been kind of a cool tool for me to try to work on my memorization and to kind of build, you know, that, that part back inside of my brain and a, and a fun way to do it rather than like a strenuous way of rebuilding that muscle of memory. But it's, it's been going really well lately. I'm really happy. Yeah. Well, it seems yeah. like a lot of survivors, and I think I say this almost every time that I interview someone, it's like they started something new in their mm-hmm. lives, which was helpful in their recovery. So it's it really is mm-hmm. an interesting, and I think neuro, the research on neuroplasticity would certainly mm-hmm. say that that's really beneficial. 
that mm-hmm. you're doing this new thing and you're memorizing stuff mm-hmm. and you're really using your brain in different ways in doing that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the things for me is I was always very into the brain growing up. And so when I found out I had a brain injury, when they like properly diagnosed me, I knew about neuroplasticity already. So, and I think that's something that's very important for people to remember is that your brain is very powerful. It might be broken while you're going through this injury and no one's doubting that. And nobody's saying that you can just fix it like that. That's not how it works but your brain does have neuroplasticity. So I, my friends that I've met through the, the, the community and everything, I tell them it has neuroplasticity. You can rebuild it. Just be patient. Just, just try, just take notes of the times when, you know, you're stuttering over your words or you don't remember something, take notes of it and just, just continually every day, try to like rebuild that part of you back, you know? Yeah. Which I'm still working on. Cause I, how many times have I stuttered? <laughs> People like that though. (laughs) I think people like stuttering. They like to know you're human. Yeah, they think it's cute. Yeah. They do. Yeah. I think it's cute when other people stutter. So I do. Certainly. (laughs) I think if you're if you're doing podcasting like I am, I've just Mm. it's just a different mode we get into. My brain works differently now when I speak. Yeah. I pause. Oh, very true. Yeah. Because I hate, because I've edited out um so many times from a podcast that I just, I don't say it anymore. So it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I think for me, like I just, it's frustrating for me sometimes because I used to be so much faster. My brain used to just be so much faster and it's just not, it's so frustrating. And in some ways it still is like, I'm I'm obviously I'm a comedian. I'm able to, to be funny and it's quick in that way. But when I'm communicating, it takes longer for me to pull that information and right. like get it to my mouth, you know? So, yeah. Sometimes it's like, can you just take the file <laughs> from my, some people have told me, I do whatever with them. Can you take the file out of my brain and I can just give it to you? And then that would be so much yeah. easier. Like, yeah. If that was possible. I feel like it's like cemented shut, like whatever that file is. And I feel like I'm, I'm chipping away at like the cement around the file cabinet, like just trying to get in there. And that's, and like I've, it's like I was doing it for years, and then finally I can like open it, but it's like rusty. And I'm like, come on, like get out! I need to. Re- I know I have like a file cabinet right here. Like, hey, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's exactly the picture I have in my mind. Oh, that's funny. Sounds funny. Yeah, I think people enjoy enjoy hearing that that analogy. Yeah. So Mac, can <laughs> you give some tips that have really worked for you that might be helpful mm-hmm. for other survivors as they're recovering? Yeah. Um. So the my brain injury was um not just physically mentally and emotionally debilitating but it was also financially and so a lot of my uh not all of it but a lot of my healing process was things i did at my house like things i did for me little things i did for me had nothing to do with doctors it was just me taking care of me one of the things that was really helpful was limiting sunlight exposure because when I was able to limit the amount of sunlight that I um, exposed myself to every day, I was able to be more productive at home. So I had blackout curtains. I still do actually, um, but I had blackout curtains in every room of my apartment and I, and I would only go outside when I needed to, especially for the first like year and a half. The second thing that I think is really important is to just really not have anybody in your life that tries to invalidate your experience. 
Um, unfortunately, I lost a lot of friends with the, the, my brain injury, but I don't regret it because I needed people around me that were listening to me and really cared about me. That's very important. And then, you know, another thing that I did is I tried to be as normal as I could. So I didn't just always say no. Sometimes I said yes and left the house and I was in LA. So my friends were always, it was hard sometimes, but sometimes I did have to say no, but my friends are always out doing all these cool things. You know, LA is a really fun place to live. So sometimes I said yes. And maybe it meant, you know, that the, the two or three days afterwards, I felt like complete shit or didn't, you know, sorry to cuss or didn't get anything done. But sometimes I did say yes to going out and doing things that probably I shouldn't have been doing. And maybe that's not what the doctor would tell you to do. But for me, the reason why I did it is because I was just so depressed and I would get to a point where it was like all my friends were doing all these fun things. And I just, I didn't feel well, but I would still put myself in those situations occasionally to just remind myself that how life really was, you know, to try to help me with the depression. Yeah. In moderation. I think that that makes sense. I mean, social, social isolation is real and Mm -hmm. That also contributes to cognitive issues. So when we're mm-hmm. not social, our brain mm-hmm. doesn't work as well. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a push pull. I find in recovery mm-hmm. that you you're going to have to push yourself a little bit, and you have to figure mm-hmm. out like, okay, maybe that's a choice I make, and then I mm-hmm. have to hopefully rebound on the other end of it. But I really mm-hmm. need to do this for myself. I really need to see exactly. my friends. So I mm-hmm. get that. I think I probably, I think I did it like, I would like 60% of the time I would push myself and then 40% of the time I would not. And, you know, I, as somebody who was so performance-based pre-injury, I really learned how to take care of myself. You know, it sounds silly, but when you're going through stuff like this, a bubble bath is like the best thing ever, because when nothing else is making sense, sitting in a bubble bath does. And so many bubble baths with candles, nice music. And just really my, my apartment at the time became like this little like sanctuary where maybe I wasn't being productive, but I was peaceful. Um, and I had my little dog with me. So that was helpful. Yeah. Oh, animals are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Animals yeah. are great. For so, so self-care with, you know, doing baths and being with your puppy and also mm. self-care is also like the not so sexy like boundaries. <laughs> yeah. That was I think what yes. you talked about with people that, that invalidate your experience. So mm-hmm. making sure that you're not around those people. I think that is mm-hmm. definitely self-care as well. It was hard for me my first year. Um, my roommate, you know, she met me pre-injury and she is like a fitness um model. You know, we we initially were very similar, very goal you know, oriented, hardworking, performance-based people. But once I got my injury, I had a complete personality change. So it was really hard. She didn't understand, but she actually, I think she ended up getting like some a concussion or something or something happened to her where she eventually understood what I was going through. But it was hard for me at the time because she was like, what happened to my roommate? So I would just, didn't care, close my door, not, not talk to her, you know, love her to death. But at the time I had to put up that boundary because I knew something was deeply wrong with me and I couldn't handle people in my life that were going to invalidate what I was experiencing. So yeah, I think that's one of the most important things is having people around you that believe you because those are your 
um, like lifesavers. What, what are they called when they throw them out? Are they called lifesavers when they throw them out of a boat? Yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're your like life, life they're preserver, like your life, life, life preserver, yeah. or just like life support. Like they're like your yeah. little, like, um, whatever to just keep you going. And I had a yeah. few friends that would just hear the same story. They'll tell you the same story, the same broken record over and over and over and over again for pro- probably more than a year, probably two years because I couldn't get it together like it you can't get it together you don't know what's going on and you need those people that are just like yep she's this is how she is right now and I'm just gonna love her anyways yeah and I always think of like how are you how are you building your recovery team for some people Mm. that's medical professionals professionals some people Mm -hmm. that looks like friends loved ones Mm -hmm. so it can be all the above yeah, that's great. I wish I had known you during this time. Because <laughs> I have found all this about through like trial and error. I know. I, I well, that's I why I'm doing this. Because yeah, like, we it. have to have a better way here. We have to learn from, from the mistakes and also like the triumphs of people that have gone before us in concussion recovery like you. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, I, I think, you know, as I continue to um, grow and expand in my stand-up comedy career. And hopefully, you know, my platform continues to expand as time goes on, you know, God willing. I, one of the most important things that I want to talk about is my injury. Um, and bring awareness to is, is my injury. Because like I said, that little in between, these little in between injuries are the worst ones. And that's where we tend to lose people like, um, like, athletes and you know football players or you know boxers or even just people hockey players I, I, w- I would read as like as I was going through the injury I would hear all these stories of people who got a concussion or something happened and then they just you know committed suicide and it's like because they didn't know you don't know what's wrong with you it's not that you're a suicidal person you just you don't know what's wrong with you and right. you don't have that those lifesavers or whatever you want to call them to kind of help you figure out what's going on and you're like well I used to be this and I Mm -hmm. used to be worth so much and now I can't even get through a whole day of work I can't even drive to work when I I first I couldn't even drive to work and so you're like I'm so worthless I have no idea why and that's a really really dark place to be in right And I think you talking about like how performance and achievement were so important. important. And I think a lot of the folks that I've talked to on the podcast and also Mm -hmm. that I've heard in the media who have, you know, either succumb or, Mm -hmm. you know, had struggled with depression or did Mm -hmm. complete suicide. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is due to not seeing outside of themselves, outside of Mm -hmm. that achievement outside of that performance and it's a it's hard because you're like I'm a fish out of water like this was my life and now it's not I think it's especially hard too um when your family so most I'm not gonna say all my family members um but most of my family members also the type of love that I was getting was performance based so when I wasn't performing Um, I wasn't getting the type of love and attention that I needed and deserved. And so that was a huge thing for me as well. But what I, what ended up filling those voids were, were friends, you know, who helped me show that it's okay. It's okay. if You know, 
you're you haven't done anything today. <laughs> I'm like, what? I have to accomplish something every day. What are you talking about? So, right, yeah, yeah. you're valuable just because you're you. Yeah, I was like, what? This is that's so a thing. Weird. That's a thing. That's a thing. It yeah, is 100. So- <laughs> and I'm so thankful for that because I never. I'm not thankful because it was awful, and I. I, I'm not thankful for my brain injury. It was awful, but I'm thankful for, for learning that because it changed the trajectory of my life for the better. So I think it's holding both things. It's holding like that there was, there was that sadness and tragedy and loss and that there's also this joy and like wonderful thing that came out of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Brene Brown gives and us that language, the both and. <laughs> what, wait, what did you say? Brene Brown gives us that language of holding two things that it can be both. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I really like no, thinking exactly. about that. Yeah. And I think that was, I think that might have been um, what helped me so much this year was like, at least emotionally, maybe not cognitively, but I think they sometimes go a little bit hand in hand during the healing process. Yes. At least for me, they did. Yeah. So, I think that was a big thing for me was just acceptance and, you know, those, I can't get that part of my life back. That's something that I went through. So you kind of get to a point when your symptoms are getting better and you are able to kind of function, you get to a point where you make a decision, you know, um, this is where I am. This is what I have going on. I can decide to continue to, to, I don't want to say wallow because that's insensitive. But I can continue to identify myself in a certain way, or I can see what comes of it if I choose to be hopeful, if I word that the right way. And that's kind of what I started doing this year is I'm like, well, what if my life just starts to get better again, even though I'm not the same way that I used to be, even though some things are a little off, you know, I went through this tire or terrible traumatic event that took my 20s some of my 20s away from me what if even though I'm still can't remember things what if things can still be good and um Mm -hmm. that's an important question I think I had to ask myself again and again and again and again during my healing process because like you said it's like there's a lot of pivots it's not just one it's can it's a lot of long strenuous time in between these pivots so right yeah. So I could talk to you all day. <laughs> yeah. But we, could, we, should, we should start wrapping. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Children to pick up today. <laughs> oh, cute. Yeah. I want to have kids one day. I'm not ready yet, but. Yeah, you get time. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got two awesome. little boys. They're sweet. Oh. Um, so. I got two puppies. Yay. I have a puppy too. He's just sitting <laughs> here. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. I, in closing, I'm just going to ask you a fun question. Sure. What's your favorite holiday food and why? So my aunt would make this. It sounds silly, but she would make this macaroni and cheese. And I don't know how she would make it. She would like put it in the oven. I don't even know if it's that good, but it's just so nostalgic because we right. have it every Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it was like, just like the happiest time of my childhood. So that's her mac and cheese is good. Her yeah. holiday mac and cheese. Um, yeah, it's classic. That's my I, mean, I think of my Nana's, my Nana's mac and cheese. It was just, oh, I, can't I, I don't you. even know if it, huh? Awesome. So, and then what is one thing that you would want to tell a survivor? There's no point in giving up. 
I'm going to get emotional again. Um, there's no point in giving up. And it's, it's so crazy because I'm coming, like it's been four years and with the things that are going on in my life with my comedy career and the way things are going for me now, weren't, they weren't going this way for me a year ago, but the way things have started to go for me over the past four or five months, there's no sense in giving up because all the struggle that you're going through right now, if you can just remain hopeful and positive the best that you can, you have no idea what's in store for you. So that's what I would want to say um, is there's, there's no sense in giving up. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. And Mac, mm-hmm. if people want to connect with you, would you be open to yeah. that? Yeah. Um, I actually really enjoy talking to people that are newly injured just as a friend and kind of helping them, making them feel less alone. Um, my Instagram is at Big Mac Lawson. That is very easy to remember. So it's just <laughs> Big Mac, M-A-C Lawson. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and I'm sure we'll connect really, really soon. Thank you for joining us today on the TBI Therapist Podcast. Please visit tbitherapist.com for more information on brain injury, concussion, and mental health. The information shared on today's podcast is intended to provide information, awareness, and discussion on the topic. It is not clinical or medical advice. If you need mental health or medical advice, please seek a professional.